Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi, and welcome back to this podcast. This is going to be for Luke chapter 15. This will be the a few parables here that he's going to be giving. Three parables, actually. And all three parables are of the same subject matter, the, the lost sheep and the gathering of the sheep. All righty, verse 1. Then drew near unto him all many of the publicans and sinners... They are all called sinners, according to the Pharisee definition. They accuse Jesus of being a sinner. This may not be a very accurate description of their true status. To hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. The three parables are in response to the criticism of the Pharisees and scribes about Jesus associating with publicans and sinners. The first two address the thesis of their criticism. The third one addresses not only the thesis of their criticism, but the psychology motivating the criticism. The main point is to emphasize God's happiness and acceptance of repentant persons. When the Pharisees look look down upon publicans and sinners, God searches after them and rejoices when they repent. Verse 3, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you? Jesus is painting a picture of the ideal shepherd. Having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine, and go into the wilderness after that which is lost, until he find it. The good shepherd would not leave the ninety and nine, unless they were secure. And when he hath, when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, and saith unto them, Rejoice with me, have I, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Who need no repentance is the oh sorry Matthew eighteen eleven to fourteen is the same story but at an earlier time, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost and to call sinners to repentance. But these little ones have no need of repentance, and I will save them. How think ye? And so let me get into another one here. That's uh, the Matthew version. Let me go back to uh, a narrative here about verse seven. The rejoicing over the lost one being greater than the rejoicing over those that were never lost is simply a function of the relief and happiness of one being spared the suffering of spiritual death. The righteous were never in jeopardy of such and needed no additional shepherding. So there is no emotional release as is the case with the accomplishment of a sinner repenting more than over the 90 and nine just persons. Alrighty, um, it is reasonable to assume that Jesus taught his parables and stories many times, repeating them for, for different audiences. Even the Sermon on the Mount may have been taught at different times to different people. The story of the shepherd leaving the ninety and nine sheep and finding the lost animal, as told in the Gospel of Luke, was also given on another occasion in Matthew 18. In both cases, God's Concern for the lost soul is the main point, but in light of the Pharisees and scribes' self-righteousness, the story's moral also becomes a caricature of smugness when the Savior says, I say unto you that likewise shall joy be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Actual Jesus recognized that no person is exempt from repentance, nor did his nor his disciples make any exceptions. John the Beloved, for example, insisted that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Thus the phrase, just persons which need no repentance, is ironic for no such person exists. 
Willard Richards' rough notes of the Prophet Joseph Smith's 1843 sermon show that the Prophet compared the one she- the 100 sheep with 100 Pharisees and Sadducees. The Prophet then said, If you Pharisees and Sadducees are in the sheepfold, I have no mission for you. I am sent to look up sheep with- that are lost. I will back him up and make joy in heaven. Note now, or note how, according to the Prophet's explanation, the characters of the parable, shepherd, lost sheep, and sheep in the fold, reflect the situation Christ was facing. The divine searcher, the repentant minority and the group of people who were in who were so self-righteous that they would not repent. That was by Richard Anderson. Elder McConkie said the emphasis is on keeping the sheep from getting lost, on showing how precious the sheep are, and on how reluctant the shepherd is to lose even one. And as he, the chief shepherd, does, so also should we do who are his servant shepherds. Also to liken the scriptures to ourselves, we are lost sheep, and the Savior goes into the wilderness to find us and bring us back. The next parable is the parable of the lost coins, verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, a silver coin equal to the Roman denarius, a workman's daily wage, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. These three analogies justify his working with sinners. And when she had found it, she called her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repenteth. So the next story we're going to talk about here, the, that of the, or this story that, that I just mentioned, the lost coin, is simple. In Greek, the piece of silver is a drachma, a coin equivalent to a day's wage. In this parable, a woman sweeps corners and cracks in an attempt to find the coin, possibly because of its sentimental value as a coin that was sewn into her wedding costume, or possibly because she is a poor manager and has lost the coin, or perhaps even the opposite, because she is a careful manager and carefully guards her resources. Whatever the circumstances, like the shepherd, when she finds the coin, the woman calls her friends together to rejoice with her. The moral of the story is similar to that of the parable of the lost sheep. There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. In discussing this parable, Joseph pointed out the irony. One publican you despise is one piece of silver, the piece which was jo- which was lost. Joy is found of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. The rest are so righteous you cannot save them. Again, we see the roles of the searcher, the sinner, and the self-righteous person. Again, that was by Richard Anderson. The lost sheep strayed from the fold by choice, seeking green pastures, and still waters out of the desert of the world, but the lost coin was lost through the inattention of the officers of the of the kingdom. The Lord's servants neglected their responsibility to care for the needs of the saints, and the one of the saintly coins slipped to the floor and rolled into the dust in a dark corner, where except for diligent search, it would remain lost until swept out with the ref- with the refuse. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. James E. Talmage said, The woman who by lack of care lost the precious peace may be taken to represent the theocracy of the time and the church as an institution in any dispensational period when the pieces of silver, every one a genuine coin of the realm, bearing the image of the great king, are the souls committed to the care of the church, and the lost peace symbolizes the souls that are neglected and, for a time at least, lost sight of by the authorized ministers of the gospel of Christ. The last parable here is the parable of the prodigal son, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Elder Elder um, Holland also talked about the other prodigal son. So anyway, we'll talk about this. Verse 11, he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his, bro- to his father, 
Give me the portion of goods or property which falleth to me, and he divided them unto, and divided unto them his living. The younger son would have taken one third of the inheritance that would be that could be taken, while the oldest son obtains a double portion as heir. The eldest son was expected to care for the other family members, hence the double portion. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country also thought of as being a Gentile country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent, un- and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. This is a most degrading occupation for a Jew. And he would, ha- he would fain, or set his heart ag- upon, would have fain filled his belly with the husks, these are pods of carob tree, which the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. These husks were not fit for human consumption. And when he came to himself, he said, notice that he came to himself finally, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. He thought of the goodness of his father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Don't we all feel like this sometimes? And he arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father had been watching for for him, hoping he would return. His father saw him. His father was anxiously looking for him to return. The fatted calf was in the stall waiting, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and kissed him. Our heavenly Father would do the same. This is also um, a degrading thing for a father to do is to run after his son. Uh, so he doesn't care. He, he loves his son so much that he's going to go do this. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, not, and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, this is the authority of a son, and put it on him and put a ring, a symbol of power, on his finger and shoes on his feet. Slaves did not wear shoes. See how generous the father is to forgive. So should we be generous. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the night of the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering him said and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And thou, ha- thou never gavest me a kid, yet and that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, notice that he says, thy son, not my brother, was come, who hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. The elder son has failed to learn love to love others as his father does. The son does not have a correct understanding of the principles of repentance and forgiveness. What Old Testament prophet was angry that the Lord forgave a city when they required? Remember, Jonah did that. Verse 31, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. We remember that the prodigal son wasted his inheritance, and when it was all gone, he came back to his father's house. There he was welcomed back into the family, but his inheritance was spent. 
Mercy will not rob justice, and the seething power of faithful parents will only claim wayward children upon the condition of their repentance in Christ's atonement. Repentant, wayward children will enjoy salvation and all the blessings that go with it, but exaltation is much more. It must be fully earned. The question as to who will be exalted must be left to the Lord in his mercy. That was by James E. Faust. Verse 32, It was meet necessary that we should make merry and be glad, and this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So what do these three parables have in common? These three parables show the joy for one who repents. The three parables which appear in the scriptural record as parts of a continuous discourse are as one in portraying the joy that abounds in the heaven over the recovery of a soul once numbered among the lost, whether that soul be best symbolized by a sheep that had wandered off, a coin that had dropped out of sight through the custodian's neglect, or a son who would deliberately sever himself from home and heaven. There is no justification for the inference that a repentant sinner is to be given precedence over a righteous soul who had resisted sin, were were such the the way of God, then Christ, the, the one sinless man, would be surpassed by the Father's esteem by regenerate offenders. Unqualifiedly offensive as is sin, the sinner is yet precious in the Father's eyes because of the possibility of his repentance and return to righteousness. The loss of a soul is a very real and a very great loss to God. He is pained and grieved thereby, for it is his will that not one soul should perish. That was by James E. Talmadge. Remember that uh, even though Jesus, or Heavenly Father, says that there is no allowance for sin, he says, I I. I cannot have the least allowance for sin, but yet when we sin, there must be allowances made, and that's where the atonement and repentance come in. David O. McKay said, How did that sheep get lost? He was not rebellious. If you follow the comparison, the lamb was seeking its livelihood in a perfectly legitimate manner, but either stupidly, perhaps unconsciously, it followed the enticement of the field, the prospect of better grass, until it got out beyond, beyond the fold and was lost. So we have those in the church, young men and young women, who wander away from the fold in perfectly legitimate ways. They are seeking success, success in business, success in their professions. Before long, they become disinterested in church and family, and finally disconnected from the fold. They have lost track of what true success is, perhaps stupidly, perhaps unconsciously, in some cases, perhaps willingly. They are blind to what constitutes true success. It's often the case that uh, where we can justify Working on the Sabbath one time, it becomes easier the next time, and so sometimes we get lost by doing that. In the case of the parable of the lost coin, the thing lost was not in itself responsible. The one who had been trusted with that coin had, through carelessness or neglect, mislaid it or dropped it. There is a difference which I think applies to us tonight. Our charge is not only coins, but living souls of children, youth, and adults. Someone may be wandering because of the careless remark of a girl of her age in mutual and the present president lets her go, fails to follow her next Tuesday night and invite her to come. Another may be lost because of the inactivity of the Sunday school teacher or the indifference of the Sunday school teacher who is satisfied with the 15 people that there that morning instead of thinking of the 15 who are wandering because of neglect. The third parable of the pro- is the prodigal son, the younger son, we are told, so he was Im- immature in his judgment. He was irking under the restraint, and he rather resented the father's careful guiding eye. He evidently longed for so-called freedom, wanted, so to speak, to try his wings. So he said, Father, give me my portion, and I will go. The father gave him his portion, and out the lad went. Here is a case of volition. Here is a case. Here is a choice, deliberate choice. Here is, a, in a way, rebellion against authority. And what did he do? He spent his means in riotous living. He wasted his portion with harlots. That is the way that they are lost. 
Youth who start out to indulge their appetites and passions are on the downward road to apostasy, and as sure as the sun rises in the east, I do not confine it to youth. Any man or woman who starts out on that road of intemperance and of dissolute living will separate himself or herself from the from the fold as inevitably as darkness follows the day. In such cases, there is little we can do but warn and plead until the until the recreant, as the prodigal son at last, comes to himself. I am simply trying to picture how these three different parables can be applied to our own groups. Joseph Smith said the elder son represented the judgment Pharisees, the judgmental Pharisees in the Savior's audience, and that the younger son represented the publicans. Jeffrey R. Holland said this son is not so much angry that the father has come home as he is angry that his parents are so happy about it. Feeling unappreciated and perhaps more than a little self-pity, remember this is the other son, the son that didn't leave, the son that had the inheritance. This dutiful son, and he was wonderfully dutiful, forgets for a moment that he has, he has never had to know filth or despair, fear or self-loathing. He forgets for a moment that every calf on the ranch is already his, and so are all the robes in the closet and every ring in the drawer. He forgets for a moment that his faithfulness has been and always will be rewarded. No, he who has virtually everything and who has in his heart hard-working, wonderful way earned it, lacks the one thing that might make him the complete man of the Lord he, is, he nearly is. He has yet to come to the compassion and mercy, the charitable breadth of vision, to see that, he, that this is not a rival returning, it is his brother. As his father pled with him to see, it is one who was dead and now is alive. It is one who was lost and now is found. Certainly this younger brother had been a prisoner, a prisoner of sin, stupid, stupidity, and pigsty, but the older brother lives in some confinement too. He has as yet been unable to break out of the prison of himself. He is haunted by the green-eyed monster of jealousy. He feels taken for granted by his father and disenfranchised by his brother, when neither is the case. He has fallen victim to a fictional affront. As such, he is like Tantalus of Greek mythology. He is up to his chin in water, but he remains thirsty nevertheless. One who has heretofore presumably been very happy with his life and content with his good fortune, suddenly feels very unhappy simply because another has had some good fortune as well. Richard Anderson said, The parable of the prodigal son is the most developed of the three parables. It is a drama in three acts, the departure of the erring son, the father's welcome at, at his return, and the reaction of, his duty, of the dutiful son. The erring son is traditionally called prodigal, a word that refers to careless extravagance. As Jesus said, he wasted his substance in, with riotous living. Jesus described the consequences with painful touches of realism. A famine arises, and the young man who has lacked the discipline to plan for the future suddenly becomes the victim of that future. He had thought he had liberated himself by setting in a different country, settling in a different country, but now he finds himself forced to work in a job that is despised in his own country because Jewish law declares that pigs are unclean for eating. The headstrong son had already thrown away his moral standards and suffered a loss of status. In the story, painful hunger follows. The husks he feeds to the pigs were probably the pods of the native carob tree, which contained dried pulp as much as 50% sugar that was edible by man and livestock. However, the unfortunate man cannot even share the fodder that he throws to the animals. Once defiant, the rebellious brother soon comes to himself. He determines to go to his father and admits his mistakes saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy servants. Up to this point, the parable has dealt with the effects of sin and rebellion, but now the story focuses on the effects of repentance and forgiveness. We read that while the prodigal was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
The son admits his guilt, and the father receives him with honor and celebrates his homecoming. No matter how hard the past or the future road, the father insists personally and publicly that the returning child is still his son and that he is still loved, saying, For this my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So important was this point that the father repeats it to the elder brother as the final line of the parable, with the variation, For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In the last verse, the father also says that it was meet that the happy celebration take place. This English phrase means it was fitting or appropriate. However, the Greek phrase is actually more intense. As the LDS edition of the Bible notes, the happiness was necessary. This thought appears in many current translations. For instance, in the New International Version, the father tells the elder brother, but we had to celebrate and be glad. This parable deals with more than the effects of sin and repentance. As some have suggested, the story could also be called the parable of the father's love or the parable of the faithful father. Certainly, the parable symbolizes God's constant concern for his children, since he is above all of God since he is above all a God of love, he naturally welcomes the truly penitent. Since parents ordinarily have a more mature love for their children than their children have for each other, the feelings of the other brother reflects life. Through the parable, the Savior also challenged the Pharisees to learn to have a broader, more mature concern for their, in, for their errant but repentant brothers and sisters. The prophet Joseph taught that in this parable, the elder son represented the judgmental Pharisees. I already mentioned that. In the process of not transgressing the father's commandment, the elder son was, has failed to learn to love others as his father does. What does the ending of the parable signify for the dutiful son? Perhaps he is like those of us who with our, with, who filled our assignments and attend our meetings but fail to learn charity, that unconditional love the father has for all his children in which he commands us to obtain and exercise. For those of us whose lives are similar to that of the dutiful elder brother, the challenge is to learn to welcome God's repentant sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, with godly love. So that's the end of the chapter, and we will see you next time. Bye.